All right. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Letter of Law Interviews. My name is Sarthak Bharadwaj and in the 10th episode of this interview series, I am absolutely delighted, thrilled and honored to be in conversation with none other than Mr. Bharat Chug. Um I have wanted to feature sir on the podcast for as long as I can remember now. and i think the 10th episode which is sort of like a little milestone in letter of laws journey is perhaps the best time to uh, do this episode with sir um before we proceed any further bharat sir thank you so much for taking the time out and being here with me today thank you for having me and uh, thank you for those kind words i'll try to measure up yeah. <laughs> uh, right so usually sir uh, the very first question that i ask my guests is to introduce themselves a little bit but i think that question for you is a little purposeless um, your journey is quite well known and uh, so is your story so i'd ask a slightly different question to you i'd ask you to reflect on your life as as a lawyer then as a judge then as a corporate lawyer then again now as an independent counsel um, and all of everything in between what have been some of the turning points that you think have brought you to this point today oh that's uh that that's that's a tough question i mean talking about yourself with a certain amount of objectivity is is never easy you know you sort of uh end up exaggerating your role in your limited successes and you you try to mitigate liability by writing off your failures as not attributable to you in 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 some ways but but i'll try to marshal the facts as they are yeah. uh reflection upon oneself is not easy as i said uh, as you said i mean have have had the great great fortune of uh, dabbling with a lot of different things the last 9 years 10 years that i've spent at the profession um started off of course as somebody and i used to like the and i used to and and i love to describe it you know as a in the context of soccer you know where i've been somebody who's sort of looked at the game from the outside wanting to be a judge wanting to be a lawyer you know from the sidelines i've been somebody who's been a player as a young lawyer i've been somebody who's been a referee as a judge calling out people on fouls and bad moves and bad faith and sort of decided disputes on the field uh, again uh, in 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 my interactions with young people wanting to be judges and people who are serving as young judges at various judicial academies across the country i've had the opportunity of also being a teacher or a coach of sorts so from somebody who's a spectator on the sidelines to a player to a referee to a coach i have i've looked at all of these things my mom loves to call me the the jack of all trades so can't really decide what he wants to be in life uh, but yes uh, having having done all of these uh there there are a few insights i'd like to think of them as insights that i've been able to gather of the different roles uh and 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 uh, you know uh, talking about judgeship or talking about practicing law at 21 is you know where it started in fact my brush with law started much before that in fact uh, i i started going to courts uh, very early on in life father was a lawyer who started off at tisagari Uh, in fact started off not as a lawyer from tisagari but as somebody who was a stenographer at tisagari a typist who used to operate out of this small stall in tisagari typing out people's affidavits getting things attested and uh, he then he took up law 
in the evening batch of law center at the delhi university and became a lawyer and um, led a very very tough life uh, my father uh, they were refugees from from pakistan who who came to uh, delhi india at the time of partition had my father had a lot of younger siblings to take care of uh, a lot of financial difficulties but he somehow uh, you know made it became a lawyer struggled struggled a lot and uh, what motivated him to be a lawyer is interesting and that's where i try to dip in from time to time to draw inspiration and to realign my moral compass so to speak from why he became a lawyer he became a lawyer because he's he'd seen injustice he's seen powerlessness he's seen what does it mean to not matter in life not to have uh, you know any social capital not to have any connections not to have an understanding of how the system works and how do you survive in a system like that where everyone's out to get you where uh, you don't have redress to to the monstrous injustices that you face in your life so he was somebody whose house was taken away by the land mafia and he briefed a lawyer put together all the family savings to brief a lawyer who failed to show up in court and my father and all his younger siblings they they lost uh, that that house that they had and that's where he decided to use law as an instrumentality to to help others and not just himself first of course to defend himself and his family because he was seriously protective of his uh, you know the the brood and uh, and then of course to use the power that it gives you the legitimacy that it gives you to uh, ensure that it doesn't happen to other people and make a positive difference that's why dad took up law he became a lawyer very late in life because of all the uh, you know things that he had to do to get there and uh, it was his uh, you know uh, uh, his desire to see me start off from the very same court but as a judge where he started off as, as a typist so um, i i you know uh, started studying for judgeship uh, because of this amongst a few other reasons so dad had a had a good practice but he fell sick and uh, sometime in 1995 i was 6 years old uh, he had a brain hemorrhage and a paralysis and after that uh, uh he he the, the law office was a very small one it was him a clerk and possibly a junior and things were difficult to sustain after that i started pitching in my elder sister started pitching in wherever we could we would type out his drafts as he dictated we couldn't afford you know a, a full time stenographer and uh, i started going to courts with him i still remember sometimes i would go after school as somebody was 10 11 12 Uh, try to listen in on client conferences you know also tag along when he went to the court and uh, look at him argue in court and uh, doing all sorts of things and uh, the things remained difficult and i at 13 14 i decided that i'm i'm, I'm sorry if i'm you know sort of meandering no no and, please uh, please go ahead that's the whole point of a podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay So 1314 is when I decided that my schooling was a needless expense on the family and uh, and I could be doing other things with my time I was obviously helping dad and I was really liking it uh, the hustle of life or you know want, you know getting to support your family in some way or the other and and I always found school to be a bit juvenile you know and purposeless you know <laughs> with how it uh, you know taught you to think in a rut and be a conformist and you know homogenize knowledge and understanding in everything so i i i and not an advice to other people formal education <laughs> has its upsides and is important you should get those first principles but i i didn't believe in it and of course i thought i could 
if i could support family and do the rest of my schooling from the open school why not um, and so i wanted to be out there so i left schooling in 13 14 i think after eighth standard i didn't do ninth i did the 10th standard from the open school started uh, teaching people computers uh, started designing websites for oh. people around me small businesses in my lane you know i remember ishwar taylor who was a tailor where we used to live in that one bhk uh, dda flat uh, so we had uh, a tailor called ishwar taylor in the street i'll walk up to him and say why don't you have a website you know and this was like in the, in the early 2000s and uh you, you know you should have a website it would help you reach out to a wider audience you may get uh, orders from you know across the world you will be big very very soon you should get a website and so i would pitch my ideas to all of these people and they were website they were they were they were service providers who would give you a domain name for free you know yeah <laughs> so i would i would get the domain name for free and a limited hosting of 25 mb for free and i would convince these small businesses around me to set up a website which they would print on their boards and their visiting cards which i'm sure you know a grand total of 10 people visited in the last <laughs> but and i don't think they got a lot of orders from us and all of those turned out to be pipe dreams but yes i got to make a website for them and i remember uh, making 3000 4000 rupees which is a princely sum back in the day uh, making websites assembling computers teaching people english doing odd jobs making affidavits drafting agreements all of those things uh, had a had a great great time could support the family and uh, learn a few things <clears throat> of course i was very very conscious that i wasn't going to school so <laughs> i was losing out on some important skills i'm sure school taught something at least i was i wasn't totally deluded uh, so as to think schools were a total waste of time so i i also wanted to learn things right not just uh you know engage in these uh, enterprises of mine so i i started using the public library as a as a substitute for schooling so i couldn't afford too many books sometimes we would go to darya ganj on a sunday darya ganj is a market oh, in yeah, delhi yeah. i've been pick there. up books by the kilo oh you've yes, been there it's so sometimes now, we would yeah 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 that's, that's very very sad so sometimes we would go there to pick up books by the kilo um i also had the membership of this place called the delhi public library which would offer you uh two years of membership for 50 paisa wow which was which was phenomenal and yeah. uh, so if you go to them with 1 rupee uh, they would ask you to you know get it changed and you know only 50 paisa is what they accept <laughs> remarkable this was i think 2003 2004 or 2002 and i started going there and uh, studying of course it was important for me to uh, you know be good at language be good at a basic understanding of the world a basic understanding of social sciences and how institutions worked um, and uh, because i could see that there wasn't much privilege or social capital that i had at my disposal or money all that you had or in fact for the profession of law all that you needed was yourself right you should know something that the other person doesn't and then come out with a solution come out with uh, you know being the voice for that person who doesn't have a voice so all the investments were essentially internal you didn't need external capital it was all about what you knew it was all about what you could say and how you could convince understood that this is a knowledge based always wanted to be a lawyer or a judge you know there wasn't a question about it uh, not because it was chosen for me and dad was there i really liked it you know i was i i liked arguing i liked as uh, a nasty kid i'm surprised <laughs> my parents didn't disown me <laughs> back in the day uh, so it was extremely argumentative sometimes for no reason 
always wanted to challenge structures and uh, you know the powers that be at one point my dad was you know scolding me for something and i told him to go fight somebody his own age because it was an unfair contest you know your dad <laughs> screaming at a 6 year old so <laughs> threatened my school principal that i'll sue her for defamation because she asked me in front of the whole class to get up and go and i thought this lowered me in the estimation of my right thinking school classmates and i thought i had a reputation that i could protect at 6 7 later <laughs> i didn't file that case because my dad as it turns out was the legal advisor for the school oh. <laughs> so why would i take on against my dad yeah and there may be pocket money implications of that decision <laughs> so, uh, so that is that's the you know uh, that's that's where i come from and uh, started working alongside did the rest of my schooling through uh, open again and uh, i knew that would that would sort of hold me back when i'm looking for a job because the national open school is essentially for dropouts you know oh. and uh, i didn't have anything to show for what i'd learned except uh, the way i understood the world or what i said uh, then went to jamia more than anything else the reason for going to jamia was uh, that uh, the open school results came very very late uh, uh, you know it's not like cbse or icse they come late and by that time there were no other forms that i could fill i didn't want to waste a year another reason for going to jamia was uh, apart from the reputation and everything was uh, you could study law for a year there i think for 1500 bucks or a thousand wow so it was very very uh, cost effective and it was delhi so i didn't want to be away from family because dad needed me everyone needed me and by that time also 2006 when i joined law by that time also i had a bunch of people who trusted me with their legal issues who sort of you know looked out uh, to me for solutions and for assistance and all of that and this used to make me feel very big at such a young age you know i'm when people are not making decisions for themselves i am making decisions for them and uh, it was a very narcissistic way of <laughs> you know looking at things but uh, uh, it 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 made me matter Yeah. "Quote unquote," you know. So those were the decisions. Great time at Jamia for five years. Uh, wasn't a spectacular student ever. Uh, was always more interested in the university of life and the and the school of adversity and you know hustle. Uh, so so uh, ended up doing a lot of work for for five years um, uh, for legal aid, helping people out with their legal problems uh, and. Uh, and and did only one internship in 5 years not that i recommend that to other people but i was too busy in my own clientele in my own world to be learning but then again if i could go back in time and possibly intern more and learn more did a lot of mooting though and reading and then at the end of 5 years sort of uh, started studying to be a judge and uh, then took the exam and uh, so on I think I'm really, really meandering here. I can. <laughs> I I just realize I can. I totally have a conversation with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great quality to have, especially in the times of lockdown where people are all alone. But anyway, I'd I'd give this conversation a bit more direction then. Um, yeah. You talked about uh, how you chose to learn at the school of life. I was reading your articles on your website also, which uh, attested that fact, and of course, this entire conversation. and i like to know your opinion on something that's happening right now in the judicial world that is there's a concept being mooted that for candidates who wish to write the judiciary's exam 
perhaps a two-year buffer period where they'll have to practice will be uh, made mandatory before they can finally write the exam. Now, as someone who has learned at the School of Life, do you think that this two-year experience is actually important and you've been a judge also? So what's, what's your take on this? Do you think this two-year period is important or it, should be, it, it, it shouldn't happen? It, it's a complicated issue. Uh, I, I personally think that the system as it stands is working out well. Uh, if you go back a few decades, there was a requirement of a, a practice uh, of two years or three years before you came on to judicial services as a magistrate or a civil judge. But that was done away by, by the Supreme Court because it was felt that for you to be able to draw talent and dedicated people who've always wanted to be judges and who thought like judges, who've studied to be judges, like a, like, a, like a proper cadre of such people who are committed to the cause of judgeship would be better attracted if you, um, uh, you know, do not insist on a practice requirement. And I personally, having interacted with judges over the last few years, both at the academies and outside the academies, I have seen some of these law students decide very, very early to be a judge and they're very committed and they've, they've spent time and effort on building those skills which a judge needs. Skills of judgment writing, objectivity, um, thinking like a judge, problem solving, and they spend time, whether with the assistance of any coaching institution or by themselves, they're committed. And, and, the, and the quality sometimes is fantastic. Um, does practical experience of courts help? Of course it does. Any sort of experience helps. Uh, but should it be a condition precedent? I don't think so. Uh, because you'll have to remember the one year that you spend at the Judicial Academy, right after you clear the exam, yeah. makes you sit with existing judges, makes you do simulation exercises, mock trials. And most of these things play a great role in sort of equalizing that, you know, experience deficit if some people have it. And I've seen you know, judges across the country who are, who, are, who are fantastic at what they do and they are very, very idealists. Uh, young people who become judges at 23, 24, 22, who, who, who became judges for the right reasons, who wanted to be judges and they serve so well without having ever seen the face of a court before they came to, to the judiciary and got selected. That's one reason. Another thing that one needs to bear in mind when discussing the requirement of three years, two years practice is the fact that if you've spent three years practicing law, sometimes you, if, you, if, you, if you're doing well, you may not want to come to judicial services also. So for you to be able to catch people young and attract them to, to an attractive career option and you know groom them as judges, that, that grooming is very important because that young, bright law graduate that you've got who's entered into the service, who you've tra trained as a judge from day one, Sometimes, you know, is, is very, very effective at, uh, you know, uh, delivering that role and doing, doing justice to it. So I think it's working fine and there's no reason for us to rethink it at the moment. Great. Uh, another question, sir, which when I, you know, told my friends in law college that, hey, Bharat, sir, is going to be on the podcast. Everyone said that if you do not ask this question, we're going to thrash you when, when uh, the, every, the world reopens. And that is, sir... Uh, Given that there's so much happening right now in law school, there's so many places that people can choose to work as, as an intern. So, and of course, as an intern, as a third, fourth year law student, a student 
obviously does not know the entirety of the law. I wonder if even experienced lawyers can claim to say that they know everything about the law. So when you get an intern in your chambers, what is your expectation from them? What do you expect that an intern should be able to do? And what do you want that the intern should take uh, from you during the course of the internship? That's, 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 that's an interesting question. Um, I think more than anything else, what I'm looking for in an intern or, or, or an associate or a senior associate for that matter is uh, curiosity, is, uh, is uh, you know, drive, is, is hunger. And, and not for anything else, not for material possessions and making it big and, you know, having a glamorous life and making a lot of money, not that. Wanting to know things, wanting to figure out things, wanting to uh, know more and more. And I think that's, if, if you have that, if you have that zeal to sort of uh, learn and uh, be, be better and you're passionate about the subject, I think that's very, very important because sometimes uh, the, the demands that this profession makes on you uh, is going to be hard. Uh, the work hours are going to be punishing. My mom used to call me a part-time family member for the longest <laughs> time. So in, in all of that, if you're not passionate about the subject, you'll uh, you know, be, be miserable first yourself and not be able to give your best. Uh, so, so that drive, that passion, that uh, zeal to know and learn is absolutely important. I mean, there may be people who may differ in their abilities of aptitude or language or writing skills. But if, if this central, uh, you know, uh, 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 characteristic is there, that, that sort of uh, takes care of most of the other things. And of course, when, when I practice law, a lot of emphasis in my chambers is on writing well, is on researching, is on, you know, being a think tank of sorts, because we are not just happy with the law as it stands. In every case, or, or in most cases, they're looking for an opportunity to push it the frontiers of law and, you know, to be able to contribute something meaningful to the discourse, to the judgments, to the propositions we argue. We don't like to do too much and spread ourselves too thin, you know, to choose our cases well and do them well. Uh, that's, that's important for me. So, so language is very, very important. Uh, writing skills are important. Um, also, uh, a zeal to sort of give back is also very important because what I'm trying to do here is to, um, run a chamber where we, we, we cross subsidize a lot, where we, where we take up uh, you know, commercial matters. And I like doing them. I've done a lot of arbitration, white collar crime defense over the last few years. Maybe take them and, and do them well, of course, and also take out a good part of our time to take up causes which really matter. And not just causes which sort of uh, make the headlines like public interest litigations. For instance, a motor accident claim that nobody cares about or nobody's going to know about. Take up those cases on an individual basis and do justice to those briefs. And because we also do commercial matters, we are able to sustain that model and you know give back and take up pro bono matters as well. A lot of what I'm doing is still in still a work in progress, uh, but that's the idea. So somebody who's looking to join me should not just be fascinated with you know being a mercenary of sorts or a mouthpiece of the of the corporates. Uh, you you should also understand at the end of the day that it's social engineering involved. There's, there's um, you know, you, it's important for you to be a voice to people who don't have it and give back, contribute to lawmaking, contribute to policy, contribute to 
right causes while you're here of course while 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 taking up things across the board and uh, also for for somebody who's joining me and i think it's where i'll stop you should you should like law as a subject i don't like to either pigeonhole myself or pigeonhole the people that i choose to work with so it's not that i'll just do tax or i'll just do criminal law that's it no the idea is to be able to do criminal law constitutional law commercial litigation arbitration and uh, things across the board and i found most of these uh, the eternal principles or the underlying principles which connect these different subjects are the same one subject teaches you so much about the other and if done rightly of course not taking on too much if done rightly um, it a practice that's as diverse and as as uh, general can 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 help uh, can help not only you you know bring out your best to the matters that you work on also to yourself as people because uh, doing the same kind of work over and over again is not good for anyone's professional growth including mine but more importantly for somebody younger who's working with me because if you're just specializing in one thing you're standardizing those processes doing the same things over and over again you're not pushing yourself to look at a newer area of law and that's not good for an for an you know uh, 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 an all round growth of your personality as a jurist or as somebody who thinks about law and likes to engage with it so yeah this is my vision of what i'm looking for or what we intend to do with this in fact uh, to all our viewers there's a very interesting post sir wrote on his uh, website where he has written if you're considering applying to his chambers what you should you know be writing in the mail what you, you should not be writing and that made for a very interesting read and i love uh, bharat sir how you are able to make something as mundane as a call for intern so interesting to read uh, <laughs> uh moving forward sir and this is something that i'm personally really curious to know about poetry and literature i think have played a really central role in your life i've i've seen you recite poems on instagram which i love by the way i have recited a poem by you teacher and the judge which incidentally is one of the most viewed <laughs> videos on the channel uh so do you think sir that your time as a judge and now as a lawyer does writing poetry help you be a lot more reflective does it make, give you that pause that's needed to think about issues more deeply and then come to a decision what's what's your take on that that's a great question uh, i i think poetry and literature of course uh, to to me uh, they they always been about otherness you know for for want of a better term it's it's your ability to walk out of your skin and walk the town in somebody else's that's been literature for me i got drawn towards literature because of uh, number one wanting to escape the banality of my own life sometimes uh, you know you could be living in a in a in a tenement a 1 bhk janta flat where you can't study in peace because there's so much noise around you but you could still mentally transport yourself to 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 you know to a to a library somewhere at the other end of the world by reading a book about it you just have to stuff your ears with your birds and wear a monkey cap because <laughs> there was no noise cancellation back then and take up a book at an ungodly hour and be transported to wherever you wanted to be and be whoever you wanted to be so that was how literature started for me wanting to escape as bad as it sounds or, uh, from wanting to escape from my own and then of course i realized that words are important you know these are the only stock in trade for a lawyer and i want to be good at it and what better than reading 
and uh, that's what drew me to literature then i realized that there, there's nothing that teaches you more about compassion and empathy and what i called the feeling of otherness than books and uh, legal profession not just judgeship is all about understanding otherness right it's about understanding your client it's about understanding the opposite party it's about understanding the judge and where he comes from it's about understanding the opposite counsel it's about understanding the lawmaker it's about understanding the other person so and reading you know you can read a book about somebody in afghanistan and be that person you can read about being a refugee in some other part of the world and be that person you could be a dictator you could be somebody who was in a concentration camp somewhere and read about their experiences and draw from their experiences so i i i i i, I like literature for that reason and um, judgeship is is more intimately connected and affected by literature more than anything else because again when you are sitting there you are trying to uh, understand and look at a problem or the world or decisions that people take from their standpoint reading helps the 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 you know the sheer number of people that you've been by reading gives you that emotional elasticity or that uh, ability to you know transport yourself and not be yourself and rise above yourself you know one of the most important parts of being a judge is to get out of your own experiences your philosophies your ideologies your experiences your friendships your foes your emotions your own thoughts you know as i say sometimes a judge sits like a blank slate tabula rasa right so reading helps you to that um that's the reason i advocate that poetry is again uh, you know it's it's even more intense that way because it forces you to think it forces you to reflect it forces you to take a step back it forces you to reevaluate uh, concepts and feeling and it forces you to distill all that you've learned in your life it's almost like the scales falling off your eyes you know when you're writing poetry sometimes you're forcing yourself to sort of you know um, squint and look at things clearly and then take your you know glasses off and then clean the lens and you know just just forcing yourself to 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 do all of that and uh, i think uh, and it's 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 been that trying to make sense of what situations people are in yeah. and also catharsis uh, event of um, because judgeship sometimes if you are sensitive and you are responsive and if you are if you if you are alive and kicking and you have a moral compass intact then it's difficult because some of these decisions would affect you why did i send that man to jail um, was i right in doing that Uh, what about his future now nobody's going to hire him because i sent him to jail uh, i sentenced that person for 3 years what would happen to his family uh, should i have given him the benefit of doubt i asked this poor family to vacate their house in the slums and asked mcd to go ahead and demolish the whole thing which is something that you do as a civil judge these things would keep you tossing and turning and um, difficult decisions uh, you are taught to be sensitive but at the same time not emotional about it because you can't do it with a shivering hand right yeah. so you have to have that clinical detachment when you're deciding but that clinical detachment takes of course a toll on you emotionally and there are different ways of dealing with it people sometimes get too stressed the only way i could deal with it apart from of course discussing things with my peers and having 
you know, a strong support system in the form of very good friends who, who bear with me and my uh, antics. Uh, I also started writing, yes. So on some of the difficult decisions, I took to poetry and, uh, uh, and, and just wanting to express the dilemma, express the conundrum, express the difficulties of making a decision and also transporting myself because some of the decisions that I made, I wouldn't be able to make them had I not done that exercise of compassion and empathy. For instance, you, you read that poem that I wrote on the tea seller issue. You, you've in fact read it better than, than I ever could, you know, uh, and thanks for doing that. Um, you, you added so much to the text. Um, so when I ro- decided those cases of tea sellers, whether they should be punished or not, young men who do it out of necessity. Uh, if I, so these orders were being passed for a very long time. People were being fined, all these young people. And not many people took a step back to think, where do they come from? Uh, what is the story behind those tattered clothes? What is the story behind this young guy who's standing before me? What was he doing in his village? Why did he end up selling tea when he could be doing something else with his life? No profit margins. Police is harassing them every day. They are being prosecuted. <clears throat> so why did he do it? And then when I tried examining, tried reading about it, uh, then, then I ended up writing it. So just to answer your question and circle back after this very, very long detour, um, is it's forced me to think more clearly. It's forced me to be more compassionate and be more empathetic and to identify the, the quality of otherness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that really uh, reflective answer. And I mean, staying on the topic of poetry, to all our viewers, there's a beautiful poem so wrote, I think it's available on his website. I forget the name, but it has to do with the experiences of uh, roadside dustbin and uh, everything that that little thing sees. And so it has crafted such a beautiful, beautiful poem from that. I'll link that poem in the description section. So be sure to check that out. Um, so, so moving towards the final set of questions with which we can conclude. Um, Staying on the subject of literature, you're clearly a marathon reader. I've seen your book reviews. I, I've taken your book reviews. In fact, I, I read uh, Humankind based off of your recommendation and I loved that book. Uh, so if, if you were to give some book recommendations to our viewers right now and also talk about some of the books that you think have been really influential in your own life. Right, I, I don't read, uh, you know, nearly as much as you uh, cut it out to be. I, I wish I could read more. Uh, books have, of course, been a very, very important uh, part of life. I've, I've read eclectically. I've yeah. tried making a conscious effort to read across genres. Just to, uh, you know, sort of pick up, uh, you know, again, the, 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 the zeal to understand otherness yeah. and try to look at a situation from as many perspectives as I can. Uh, also, there is there is a certain amount of insecurity behind me wanting to read so much and see read so eclectically. That's again the absence of a conventional schooling. And somewhere in my head, I still think that there is there is a I, I'm at a loss because I possibly didn't learn as many things. But as long as this insecurity sort of drives me to read more, I think uh, the net result is good. Coming back uh, to uh, the books that have sort of inspired me. I think one book that's very good, which I've read and reread is How to Read and Why 
by by Harold Bloom. Uh, we we sort of think of reading as something that you just pick up a book and read, but Harold Bloom tells you that there is some method to all of this madness. And the kind of books that you can come, you know, read, the genres you should explore, and for what reasons, and how to take the max that a book has to offer. And and life is short, you know. Life, um, you can read only a finite amount of books yeah. uh, in the world, so you have to choose them carefully. The books that I've, uh, um, I mean, I've I've read uh, Bill Bryson, the short history of nearly everything, was a very interesting book. One of my favorites, where. In in three four hundred pages, Bill Bryson talks about millions and millions years of history and writes so well. Uh, I've been hugely influenced by Bill Durant's uh, story of oh. philosophy. Uh, he's a fantastic. I don't think we have anyone else who's interpreted and looked at the world so clearly. Philosophy has been uh, one of the earliest uh, categories that I got really hooked to, wanting to understand life better. and i think it's a you know coming of age thing where you're drawn to uh, philosophy and you know the finer things of the mind in fact sir if i can just pitch in here i saw your instagram story just today i think you posted a quote by seneca if i'm not wrong in fact and i've read yeah, uh, seneca's yeah. uh, book and you're right philosophy reading that helps helps really uh, really coming of age kind of thing you you write on that sorry sorry please go ahead yeah sir. yeah no 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 problem and you know uh, there was another quote which is one of my favorites that if you read philosophy then uh, or the finer things of the mind then all your needs are either supplied or their loss or absence is not felt so either you would get all the things that you need in life by reading philosophy or you wouldn't feel the absence of any of those because you will be rather self sufficient in in what you have or at least have your consideration right i just recently got a, a friend very kindly gifted me the story of civilization which is bill duran's uh, contribution uh, it's 11 volumes wow. subdivided into like 30 books wow. uh, each volume took about 5 years for him and his wife to write yeah. and uh, starting from the greek civilization or the oriental civilization in egypt uh, till uh, the 20th century he summarizes it's like civilizations in ages and millions of years you know between covers so that's that's again something i want to write now I've spent a lot of time reading about decision making. So Daniel Kahneman and thinking ah, fast and slow. I've read that. Book. The art of, yeah, yeah. Book. So that that that's something I read when I was a judge, and I thought it's since I make decisions, it, <laughs> I should read about decision making and what tricks my mind is playing on me, and am I am I being as impartial and objective uh, as I think I am? So uh, thinking behavioral economics. Uh, why do we make the decisions that we do cognitive biases fallacies and uh, so my judgeship period was uh, when i really uh, dived deep into these issues of course fiction's been a constant throughout all of this uh, and um, i have i vikram seth arundhati roy um, these have been some of my favorite authors um and i'm just looking at my book rack <laughs> steven fry is one of my favorites his trilogy on greek mythology is fantastic uh, steven hawking's brief answers to the big questions yeah. is something i read recently again a great great book i've also recently developed a, a liking for uh, uh, biographies so walter isaacson's biography of leonardo da vinci and uh, steve jobs 
was quite fantastic i loved reading about kavinchi and how um, he always let the perfect uh, be the enemy of the good and you know uh, focus on the big things in life and um, had had so many projects that he started off with but never finished because he was never happy yeah with how uh, with the quality of uh, you know his his work product and how he brought in different uh sort of disciplines together for instance if he's drawing a portrait which has a particular facial feature he has to know the muscle behind it and he must have dissected you know some some <laughs> a lot of people who were obviously you know there was there were wars so he wasn't actually murdering those people <laughs> so he would go behind the human anatomy in order to give a particular facial feature to a to a painting and then his zeal for perfection or something was found very very inspiring murakami uh, and a lot of things across the board you know dave malcolm gladwell oh yes taleb i spent oh, some time taleb. reading these guys that's that's i'm nasim taleb is uh, one of i mean he's the thinker who has influenced i think the most uh, in, in he has had the most influence in my life i've read anti fragile and uh, um, black yeah, swan so yeah. far you've read black all swan. you've read yeah. entire and sort of i've read i've i've read these two i've read these two i'm currently reading I've, skin in the game yeah 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 I, that that's on my uh, to read list which keeps on mounting <laughs> so <laughs> so these these have been broadly the, the the transformative influences when it when it comes to reading right and uh, i think with this uh, really this really nice recommendation of a lot of books i think we can finally come to a conclusion of today's talk bharat sir thank you so very much for taking time out and being here with me I wanted to do this for a very very long time. Thank you so much for uh, being here today. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you so much for having me and uh, look forward to do a second part sometime soon. Oh, yes. Maybe just talk about books. Yeah, hopefully yeah. in person. <laughs> sure. I look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you sir.